0: Hey guys, I am excited to be with you. How are you guys doing tonight? You're good. Well, Derek already introduced me, and uh, my name is Mark, but uh, I didn't get a chance to get all of your names, so I'm wondering if you can help me out, all right? On the count of three, will you just tell me what your name is? You ready? One, two, three. All right, now we know each other, so I feel ready to go. Well, um, I am excited to get to share and speak with you guys tonight. Uh, I love to get to talk with high school students. And and do you know why? Part of it for me is personal. Because it was when I was in high school that I made the decision to truly follow Jesus in my life. And I talked to countless people who it was in the years of high school, somewhere between ninth and 12th grade, where they say that was the time When I turned my life over and put faith in Jesus, or that was the time when my faith became real, or that was the time when I made it personal for me and began to follow him. I love to talk to students because you are in a season of life where if you make the choice to follow God and never look back, he can use you in significant ways in this world. So I'm excited to dive into God's word together, and tonight we're going to dive in on a topic out of Genesis chapter 3. And I love going after this because here's the reality. Here's part of why I want you to listen and tune in to what we're going to talk about tonight. Is that if you don't understand this message, then God, the Bible, and Jesus will never really make sense. See, for a lot of people in our world, God, the Bible, and Jesus never really make sense. They easily dismiss it. And I'm convinced it's because they don't understand The reality of the truth that we get from Genesis chapter 3. Now, we're in a series. What was the series' name? Do you remember? Continuum. Continuum. You guys got it. See, a continuum is a sequence. It's a continual whole. And part of what we're going after in this series is a whole view of the Bible. From beginning to end, understanding that there is one story that God is writing a story of redemption and the work he's going to do through his son, Jesus. And so last week, um, we began talking about creation. And, and Todd was here last week and got to speak, right? You guys, who was here last week to hear Todd? You see him? Yeah. Woo! That man, Todd, that man has a really good beard, does he not? Did you guys see? I, I am proud to consider Todd my friend. Simply because of his beard. I want you to know that. As you go through life, everybody needs a good friend that has a really good beard. And Todd is amazing at that. Well, hey, Todd got to unpack and talk a little bit about creation. And the creation story comes through in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. And I want to do a quick review because it's important to understand what's happening in creation in order to understand where we're going to go. See, in Genesis 1 and 2 you get to read and hear about God's intention. God's what? His intention. It paints the picture of the world that God created, His intention and what He desired for all of us. This is the world before sin or disobedience came into the picture. And one of the things you learn in Genesis 1 and 2 in the creation story is the truth that God has no equal. Let's say that together just so we get it. God has no what? No equal. See, listen, if you don't know that, if you don't understand that, you'll get all messed up in this world. See, you've got to understand one of the first things we realize in the Bible, Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, is that there is a God, and guess what? We're not him. And that's a tough reality because you know what? If there's a God and I'm not him... That means that God gets to call the shots, that God gets to tell us what to do. And we don't really like that, do we? How many of you would just be honest and say that you don't really like to be told what to do? How many of put a hand up in the air and just, own? Oh, I don't really like being told what to do? Now, look around the room for a moment. Look at like, Keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. Now, look at everybody who doesn't have their hand up, and do you know why? Yeah, they don't like being told what to do. That, that's why it's not up right like you know, guest speaker comes in tells me to put my hand up like whatever I don't have to listen to that that can't tell me what to do I we just don't like to do this see and in creation we realize the reality that God has no equal let me let me summarize um, on this whiteboard for us really quickly I, a few things that you see in the garden in the Garden of Eden in that creation story because They impact the rest of what we do. When you read Genesis 1 and 2, how God created the world and intended it to be, here's a few quick things. One of the things you see in the garden is peace. Go ahead and say that with me. Peace. Peace. Did you ever notice when you read the garden, the reality is relationships are all good. There's no violence in the garden. In the garden of Eden, as God desired it to be, there was peace. In addition to peace, there was provision. Let's say it provision. And what do I mean when I say provision? I mean God provided. All that they needed, their physical needs, all the food they could eat of the garden and enjoy, God provided with provision. And then there was presence. Let's say it. Presence. Yeah, and some of you just thought it was presence like Christmas. No, it's not that. But by presence, I mean the presence of God. God dwelled with Adam and Eve in the garden in relationship with them. His presence was there. We see all of this. And there could be more. I'll give one more thing that we see in the garden. It's purpose. Let's say it. Purpose. Purpose. See, God created Adam and Eve with a purpose. There was a purpose to know and walk with God. To be stewards and caretakers of all that God had entrusted them with. In life in the garden... Was good. Right? In the creation story, you hear that repetition when God creates, it was good, it was good, it was good. And then he makes uh, Adam and Eve and he says, it was very good. You guys got it. Now, listen, sometimes in life, I've noticed this actually, when people begin to have provision in their life and even some degree of peace, a lot of times we start to struggle with purpose in our lives. What really is the purpose of being alive? What really is the purpose to go after? See, part of the series is to not miss the very foundational things that are so true. I love, I love how Rick Warren said this. He says, you were made by God and for God, and until you understand that, life will never make sense. Don't miss that, students, because some of you will go through a season. Maybe you're there now, but I guarantee at some point, you'll begin to wrestle with what really purpose is all about. You could feel confused about life. And if you miss the basic truth and reality that you were made by God and you were made for God, life is never going to make sense if you miss that foundational truth. In Genesis 1 and 2, the creation story is what helps us to understand that. See, in creation, we see that there is a good God who provided these things. He created a good world and he created Adam and Eve. That's our our quick overview reminder of what God was in creation. Now, I want to invite you to open your Bible with me to Genesis. And I'm going to turn to chapter 4, verse 1. So let's open it up. Grab it under your chair if you don't have it out. In Genesis chapter 4, guess what page number it's on? 4. You're right there. So I hope you can find it. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Let's read this together. We're going to read some scripture in Genesis tonight. It says this. Adam made love... To his wife, Eve. Woo! It's heating up a little bit. How how many of you were here a couple weeks ago and before for the Obsessed series? Yeah, you were here for that series? Okay, great. So I don't have to unpack what just happened in that verse. Derek already covered it, right? You're up to speed. Okay, we're good. Let's read on. And she became pregnant. Did he tell you that happens? I hope so. That's possible, okay? (laughs) And gave birth... To Cain. What was Adam and Eve's first son's name? We're going to go Cain right here. She said, with the help of the Lord, I've brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, Abel kept the flocks and Cain worked the soil. Right? So Abel was a rancher and Cain was a farmer. You got the picture? Now, let me ask you a question. If Derek was in this story, would he be the farmer or the rancher? rancher. Let, me, let me just see. Uh, show of hands. How many of you think Derek would be the rancher if he's in this? That's Derek. Okay. How many of you think Derek would be the farmer? Oh, that's good. How many of you know this is a trick question because if Derek was in the story, he wouldn't be a rancher or a farmer, would he? Derek would be a hunter. Yeah. Come on. You know Derek's a hunter. You guys know this. Hey, I want to share my very first week here on staff. We're walking around the office, first time I see Derek again in a while, here's what I hear somebody say out loud in the office. Hey, Derek, hey, man, where do you get your deer urine at? (laughs) And I'm like, what? Like, what are you buying that for? All right, I just want you to know, you are really into your hobby and sport if you are willing to put the urine of an animal on you to be good at it. Derek would be a hunter. We know that, don't we? That boy loves to hunt. It's fun. All right, let's jump back in. Look at verse 3. We have Cain and Abel. We have a rancher and a farmer. And it says, in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. Now, I wish I had untimed, or more time to just unpack the truth and power of this story, but I want to read on for what we're going after tonight. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Now listen, this next verse is powerful. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. We'll come back to that and talk about it. Now, verse 8. Now, Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. I want to stop there. This is murder. Premeditated. Premeditated. In the first degree, he lures his brother out to a field to kill him. Now, here's what I want us to catch. What chapter of the Bible are we reading from? Genesis 4. This whole Bible, we started with Genesis 1 and 2, with the Garden of Eden where God created it and it was good. And there was peace. And there was relationship. And here we are, just a few chapters later, Genesis chapter 4, and there's murder, premeditated. His brother takes him out. And it begs all kinds of questions for us, like, what happened? I mean, how did it go from this to that? How did that happen so quickly? How is it in the whole of this Bible, we're, we're right here on, on page number four and we're already reading about how God's intention in the world has gone completely awry and we have a brother murdering his own brother. I mean, I didn't get along with my brother growing up all the time. How many of you have siblings you don't get along with? Yeah, you're there, right? I mean, we, we, we have argument, there's challenges, we get that. But I mean, here we are, this is Adam and Eve, their own kids, and they don't get along to the point where they're actually plotting and acting out to take a life of his brother. How did it go this far, this quickly? It's an important question, and it gets answered in Genesis chapter 3, where we learn about the fall, and it's not a season or a time of year. The fall is a historical and theological event, and it changed the world for you and me, that this is now the lo- world we live in, a fallen world. When I was in college, uh, my roommate Paul, he, I went to college in Indiana, and, and my roommate grew up and went to high school in Indiana. And how many of you know the state of Indiana loves basketball, right? Have any of you seen the old school movie Hoosiers? I mean, yeah, it's an, it goes back, but they love basketball, well, in his high school, in the Indianapolis area at the time, they had a fantastic basketball team. But during one of their, their large games, I, I believe it was even a playoff game towards the state tournament, they had uh, huge, large crowds, almost the entire school's there watching the basketball game. And one of their star players, during the middle of the game, in front of everyone there, he collapses on the court. Nobody knows what's going on or what's wrong. Medical attention rushes in, and he ends up dying on the basketball court that night in front of his whole school. He had a heart condition that nobody knew about, star athlete in great shape, and he collapsed and died in that moment. See, this is the world we live in. There's death, there's pain. There's tragedy and heartache. And when you look around the world we live in and we see these kind of experiences, I mean, it begs questions from us. Like, how did it get this way? Why is it this way? What really happened? In Genesis chapter 3, unpacks the truth and in the insight for us. So I want you to flip back uh, to page 3 there in Genesis 3. Now, reminder, in chapter 2, Adam and Eve were created. God placed them in the garden. It was a beautiful place, but he gave them just one condition in the garden, didn't he? Let me read it just as a reminder. In chapter 2, verse 16, it says this. The Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly, what? Die. Die. See, look at the goodness and generosity of God. He says, "All that is in the garden, it's all yours. it's all for you to enjoy. I am not holding back from you. But there's just one thing I have, right? This isn't Ten Commandments. This is just one thing. There's one tree that I don't want you to eat from, because God knows that if they eat from this tree, ultimately it will hurt them. Ultimately. It will lead to death. So God graciously gives this warning. But then let's read now chapter 3, verse 1. What happens? It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? See, listen to this. With a question, he just begins to cast a little bit of doubt. Did God really say that? And this may seem small, but right away, the serpent here, he's trying to throw a kink into God's plan. He's trying to tempt Adam and Eve and get them to distrust God and ultimately to disobey him. And what he's going after here is he's trying to destroy Adam and Eve's view of the one who made them, their creator. He's trying to plant doubt in their mind. Did God really say? He just wants to plant that doubt. Maybe God's holding back from you. Now, let's read on and see. Verse 2 goes on. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, listen to her clarify. Yeah, God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will, not, or you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. Listen, he goes from doubt at the beginning to just being direct. And he's saying, hey, you, you won't die. He just gets really direct. And in this statement, he just lies. He just goes to them and says, hey, what God said, that's not really true. You're not really going to die if you touch it. And he just cuts right to the point and tells them, you won't die. What God said's not true. Verse 5, for God knows That when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. See what Satan's doing here? He's just trying to get direct. He's lying and he just simply says, you know what? God is holding out on you. God's, God's telling you not to eat from that tree because he knows if you go and eat from that tree, you'll become like him. Remember one of the truths that we learn from the creation story is that God has no equal. No what? And see, Satan begins to lie to them and say, you know what God's really doing is he's holding out on you. Because if you eat from this tree, he knows you'll become like him. You'll become equal to him. And he just lies. Because he wants to introduce the destruction that's here. The snake... Satan didn't present himself as God's enemy in this story. He simply begins to cast doubt on who God is. See, he he begins to try to get them to believe that Adam and Eve, as the created, would somehow know better than the creator. That, That with this one rule, God was asking for Adam and Eve's trust. And with one bite, Adam and Eve communicated their lack of trust. As if to say, God, we know you said this, but we think we know better. And so Adam and Eve sinned. They dismissed God, and they chose to go their own way. Now let's read verse 6. It says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good, f- good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable, it was also what? desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was an innocent victim. Oh wait, it doesn't say that, does it? She gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. See, Adam and Eve disobeyed God. They chose to go their own way. And this is a massive event where everything changed in our world. See, when we look around in our world and we wonder why things are the way they are, why there's hardship or tragedy, why there's pain, it goes back to Genesis chapter 3. And the one word answer as to why all of this is there, three simple letters. What is it? Sin. Sin is the simple answer as to why this shows up. And what happens in Genesis chapter three is that where God intended peace, once sin showed up in this world, all of a sudden pain got introduced. What got introduced? Pain. Pain. And where there was provision, now there would be toil. There would be what? Toil. Toil. That means where God just provided the food to begin with, now you're going to have to toil and by the sweat of your brow get it. It was part of the curse of what happened in Genesis chapter three. And where there was presence in the garden, God's presence, now there would be division. There'd be what? Division. The relationship is broke. It's divided. There's brokenness and division in the world that now shows up. And where there was purpose, now there would be confusion. There would be what? Confusion. And so we find ourselves living in a world of pain, toil, division, and confusion. And I think God looks at the world and says, this isn't how I intended it to be. But I gave you a free will where you could either choose to love me or you could choose to reject me. And we chose to reject God. We chose to sin. And it changed the world. See, when you read the Bible, you could stand at Genesis chapter 3, and if you look back to Genesis 1 and 2, you see the garden in a picture of God's intention. But if you stand there and look the other way, you look forward into the world in which we live, a world of brokenness, pain, toil, discouragement, death. This is the world we live in, and sometimes we're confused about it. But Genesis 3 helps bring the clarity that that what really brought this about in our world was that three-letter word called what? Sin. Sin. Now, let me give you a definition of sin. There's a few different out there. Uh, The Bible uh, most commonly often uses a word for sin that is equivalent to meaning missing the mark. But context is everything when you read scripture. And I want to give you a definition for here in the garden that also shows up elsewhere in scripture. You can write it down if you want, but the definition is simply this. A willful transgression, a willful transgression against a known law of God. A known law. Let me ask you, did Adam and Eve know what God wanted them to do? Yes. They knew what God's law was in this place. And a willful transgression, that talks about desire. It talks about What? It means you chose it. You willed it. Adam and Eve had a choice and they chose to disobey God. There was a willful transgression against a known law of God. That was a sin that happened here in the Garden of Eden. It's important to know that definition of sin because that is a definition of sin that God, through his forgiveness and ultimately his spirit in our lives, can help us to actually choose to not disobey, that means when we have a choice, we can choose to do the right God-honoring thing that we don't have to yield and give in to temptation every single time. See, they chose, they knew what was right, but they chose to live by their own rules in the garden. And honestly, what you see what happens on these two sides of things is that what God intended over here in the garden was life. It was what? God created us for life. The garden, there was life. There was no death in the Garden of Eden until what showed up? Sin. And what we'll see happens is the next point. Sin leads to death. Sin leads to what? And this is the world we now live in, isn't it? Sin leads to death. And the reality is that because of that sin, we die physically. It's why we bury our grandparents, people we love, all around us. We die physically, relationally, spiritually. Death is in the world because of sin. And this is why we have to understand that sin is dangerous. Genesis 3 helps us to see that. Sin is dangerous in our lives. And you know what the problem is in our world today? For you and I, for so many of us, we treat sin casually. We treat it like it's no big deal. We, we treat it like it's not really going to hurt us or take us out. But Genesis 3 helps us to see the importance, the devastation that sin leads to death. See, and sometimes we treat sin casual like it's no big deal. But, but remember what we read in Genesis chapter 4 with Cain and Abel? God God said something to Cain, and he said, but if you do, uh, he encouraged him to do what was right, but he said, if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. It desires to what? Have you. See, I think this verse is very important early in the Bible, because so many of us treat something like sin as if it's a thing we just casually stumble into or fall into, But Genesis 4, this verse with Cain and Abel, paints a picture that sin is much more active, much more pursuing, that it's crouching at your door and it desires to have you. How many of you have cats in your home? Let's see. All right. How many of you have ever been attacked by your cat in your home? That was like nearly everyone. Does anyone have a cat that didn't attack them? Okay, there's a couple of you that have friendly cats. Right, I mean, I, I get this picture, sin is crouching at your door. I had a cat growing up, and I can remember those times when my cat would like stalk like a tiger, and you realize, you realize cats are related to tigers, it makes sense. But they would stalk and begin and be ready to pounce on their prey. And this is almost the picture we really get here of sin, where, where it's crouching at your door, it desires to have you. Now the truth is, sin leads to death. And the reality of this is that God is not to blame. We are to blame. Who's to blame? We are. So you know what happens a lot in our world? We come along and we look at pain and toil and division and confusion and death in our world. And we like to blame God for that. Say, God, why why are you doing this? When the reality is, and you understand Genesis chapter 3, God's not the one to blame we are. We might think we have a case against God, but really God has a case against us because we are the ones who sin. And Adam and Eve's sin will affect the rest of humanity for all time. Don't miss that in Genesis 3. Your life has been affected by Adam and Eve because the reality is now Because of Adam and Eve's sin, it is in the world. It was born into them. And there's children, Cain and Abel. Sin is now in the world. Remember, it's Cain who murdered his brother who? Abel. This shows up. And and when it comes to sin, for you and I and how it affects us, when it comes to sin, we are born into it and we are bent towards it. Let's say those two things. They're not in your notes, but just so we get them. We're, We're what? We're born into it. And bent to it let's say it one more time we're born into it and we're bent towards it see Romans chapter 5 12 says therefore just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin remember that's what we're talking about and in this way death came to all people because all sinned see we were born into this world with sin and when we look at Adam and Eve we understand that now as we're born in this world with sinfulness, we now have a sin nature. That means we have a bent towards disobeying God. It's part of what makes this world painful and messy. We're born with this bent towards sin. We're born with a bent towards selfishness and pride and thinking we don't need God in this life and we can dismiss him. I have a, a, a beautiful daughter that's two and a half years old right now. Her name is Eden. And some of you said "Oh, just on her name. I love that. She, she, we, I love her. She's beautiful. She's a ton of fun to have in our house. But I am telling you, as beautiful and cute as she is, I did not have to teach her to be selfish. <laughs> she just came out that way. I mean, she has toys, and she doesn't want to share them. I, I just a, a few weeks ago, I, I was up in my bedroom. We were looking out the window, and she looked down on our driveway, and she got excited because she saw the car. And she looks out the window, and this is what she says when she sees the car. She goes, Hey, my car. <laughs> and I'm looking at her, she's two. And I'm going, Is that your car? And she goes, My car. And then she looks at her other car and she goes, Daddy's car. And then I asked, Does mommy have a car? No, <laughs> she's two, it's her car. Robbie, right, I mean, she's already got this bent towards, hey, it's mine. I'm selfish. Mom may drive it, but it's my car. I'm telling her where to go. I mean, I mean you, 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 we, just, we are born with a bent towards selfishness. And here's the truth. If we don't understand that sin leads to death, we will never really understand why Jesus really matters, why he even came to this earth to die. I love how uh, Robert Hicks says it in this quote. Let me read it to you. It's going to be here on the screen. He says, until I realize the evil that I'm capable of, I don't really believe that Jesus Christ means all that much. See, until I realize that because of my sin nature, I'm capable of evil, until I realize that there is sin in me, Jesus Christ in the gospel isn't going to mean all that much. And we live in a world that wants to easily dismiss Jesus and the gospel and what he did on the cross. And I think it's because we don't understand the truth and the power of Genesis chapter 3 that sin leads to death. Now, I shared the story of the basketball player that died on the court. My roommate, Paul, um, he played sports at the high school, And after this event happened, it rocked their whole high school to see it. They decided to institute a new policy for everyone doing sports as part of your um, sports physical exam to be able to play any sport at the school. They added a, a requirement that you would have an echocardiogram. This is like a special screening of your heart. It's not a common thing to do unless you have some kind of a symptom or reason to do it. But they just said, we're going to make this standard practice because we lost a student that had no symptoms of a heart condition. And had we had an echocardiogram, it could have been caught before this tragedy happened. So every student had to have an echocardiogram as part of their sports physical. Well, my roommate Paul played soccer in high school, so he had his physical. He goes in to do it, routine thing. But all of a sudden, they notice something in his heart. There's a little bit of a murmur. Doesn't look exactly right. They decide we just want to keep our eye on it. What it is is he has a little bit of a leaky heart valve, whereas it pumps the blood. The the blood's supposed to go forward. Some of it kind of backwashes into a chamber that's there. And they decide he can still be physically active, and they just want to monitor it because it can be something that gets more serious. But all of a sudden, without any symptoms, he discovered he had a condition that puts him at risk, and he's got to monitor it. Fast forward a few more years, by the time we are at the end of college, they've continued to watch his heart condition, and now decide it's gotten a little more serious, and they're going to need to do surgery. So at 22 years old, he goes up to Minnesota, to Mayo Clinic, to have open heart surgery. Most of the doctors there even asked him questions like, how did you even know you had this condition? It says you have no symptoms of it. How did this even get caught? And he just tells the story of, of, how, of what happened at the high school and why he's required to have the echocardiogram. And he ends up at 22 years old going through an open heart surgery to uh, hopefully repair, but eventually they had to replace a heart valve so that he could live a longer life. See, he needed heart surgery. And he could have gone through all of life having no clue that he had a condition That put his life at risk. And is his situation. A student had to die. In order for him. To discover that he had a condition. That put his life at risk. See spiritually speaking. You and I have a heart condition. But many people. Are completely unaware of it. That that we need a heart surgery. See, and when we're unaware, we dismiss it. And and so we dismiss the thought of any help, and we dismiss the need for Jesus in our life. See, understanding Genesis chapter 3 in the fall, realizing that God has no equal and that sin leads to death, is vitally important to understanding God, the Bible, Jesus, and ultimately the gospel Because you dismiss the solution if you don't believe there's a problem. You dismiss the cure if you don't believe there's a disease. You dismiss the restoration if you don't think you have any brokenness. And many in our world today dismiss Jesus in the gospel because they don't believe they have any kind of a condition that matters. See, what we have to understand, students... What is on the line, when we talk about Jesus, share Jesus, pray for our friends, invite our friends, Genesis 3 reminds us that what is on the line is what, life, and what. This is on the line, where God says, this isn't just some story. We really live in a world that is broken, and we really live with a condition as sinners, that ultimately leads to death. This isn't the world that God intended it to be when he originally created it. But this is the world we have found ourselves in. And Genesis chapter three leaves us in a place of great need. I mean, when you just stop at Genesis three, you realize, I have a condition, and I can't fix it myself. It leaves us in a place of great need. But God is in the picture, and God is a good God, and he will make a way for restoration, for healing, and that is what will unfold over the rest of the Bible. Now, as the worship team comes on up, I want to hit a few things that we can do. There's two things we wanted us to know tonight, right? That God has no what? Equal. God has no what? Equal and sin leads to what death, Death. Death. those are the two things to know. Here's three things to do, they're in your note guide if you want to write them down. One is this recognize our condition, recognize that you have a condition. The reality is, you need heart surgery. The reality is that we're all sinners in need of a savior. Secondly, is this trust God, don't blame Him, trust God, don't what. Blame them. See, Adam and Eve, they blamed everybody else in this. Adam blamed Eve for giving the apple. Eve points back and tries to blame the certain. Everyone's trying to pass blame around. But God said, hey, hey, we're the ones to blame in this story, not God, for the sin in this world. And our call is to trust God. See, Adam and Eve failed at that. But we can learn from that and begin to trust him. And thirdly is this. Treat your sin serious. Treat your sin what? Serious. Serious. Don't be casual with sin. And make sure, hey, when I'm talking about this, I'm talking about yours. Don't become the person that loves to go around and point out everybody else's sin when you're not willing to look in the mirror at your own. But but let's be quick to confess it, turn from it, and follow God. The reality is God created us. He loves us. He desired for this world to be good, but our sinfulness broke it, but it did not break his character. He is still a good God, and he is gonna make a way of restoration. Ultimately, this is gonna become the story of Jesus, why he came into this world. We're gonna unpack it more next week, but I wanna leave us Genesis 3 setting up what this need is, and those three things we can do and learn in this story.